Thank you for joining us and for listening to our podcasts. We hope that this may enrich your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to clarify one thing about the issue of Zerubbabel. The Bible tells us in Ahayo, I mean Haggai. <laughs> Sorry about that. For those who don't speak Spanish, that's Haggai in Spanish. <laughs> but the Bible tells us in Haggai that Zerubbabel was the governor. Yes, he was the governor of the group that returned from Babylon to Jerusalem because his grandfather was Jehoiachin, the only king who obeyed Jeremiah out of all the kings. And he surrendered to Nebuchadnezzar, which is what Jeremiah was telling them to do. But you can imagine if someone tells us today to surrender to the enemy, <laughs> what would we say about that? Say, we'd say the same as they were saying. He's a traitor. Kill him. <clears throat> Jeremiah was telling him that they had to surrender to the king of Babylon because God had raised him up. And it was his judgment. <clears throat> Jehoiachin was the only one that did it, and he was the one who the king, years later, took him out of prison, exalted him over the rest of Israel, and fed him every day for the rest of his life. It's amazing what God does. Well, his grandson was... Zerubbabel. So, of course, he was in charge of the group that went back, but he had no political power. The Bible says clearly that Tatnai was the governor of the entire area west of the river, Euphrates. So, you know, Zerubbabel didn't have any political power, but he was the leader of the Jews at that time. <clears throat> I want to share with you, after we've shared with you already the six days, 6,000 years, and of course, as we shared yesterday, there were 2,000 years between Adam and Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to Christ, his birth, 2,000 years from the birth of the Lord in the first coming to the birth of the Lord in the second coming. Natural birth, first coming, spiritual birth, second coming. 2,000 years. But I want to share with you a few thoughts about the last 2,000 years because the Bible gives us some clear indication. Someone asks, uh, are there any other scriptures? Well, we've already seen one, 6,000 years. It's very clear. And um, 2,000 years is even clearer from scripture. Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, Peter said, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. So it's probably pretty, pretty important. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. In 1 Peter 2.10, Peter wrote, referring to the Gentiles, he said, Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. He was quoting 
Hosea 1.10. So Peter obviously knew very well the prophet Hosea's message. Wouldn't you agree? He's quoting him in his epistle, led by the Lord. I mean, it was written, all the scriptures was written by the Holy Spirit through godly men, the Bible says. Amen? So he knew about Hosea. Of course he did. I mean, all of Israel knew knew their prophets. And surely Peter understood what Hosea meant in chapter 5 and 6. Let's read 514 to 62. 5.14, it's the Lord speaking prophetically. And he says, for I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, lion of the tribe of Judah, and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. And he certainly did that. Forty years later, he allowed the Romans to come in and destroy the city. Destroy the temple. And take control of the holy city again. They had it before also. I even I will tear and go away. I will take away and none shall rescue him. I will go and return to my place. Till they acknowledge their offense And seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Obviously, that's the Lord. And he returned to his place, to heaven. Then Hosea 6, 1 and 2. Come, and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us up. He will heal us. This is what the Jews will finally say after the destruction that is at the door right now. Come, let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. Now listen to what the Holy Spirit says through Hosea. After two days... Will he revive us? Hmm. He's already done that. 1947. 2,000 years later. After two days he will revive us. In the third day he will raise us up. Resurrection. And we shall live in his sight. The thousand year reign. Peter understood this, and he said, this, you need to know one thing. A day is a thousand years. And he just, he quoted Hosea. He knew this message. And it's happening before our eyes. We are, by the way, <clears throat> we are in a delay. 30 years, I have no doubt whatsoever that this is the delay. And the... <clears throat> This, this third day, the millennium has already begun. It began in 1996. That's a fact. That was the end of the 6,000 years. We're now in the beginning of the 
th uh, the third day, the, the thousand-year reign. And we're in a delay of 30 years, same as the Old Testament began, same as the New Testament began, and now that's how the millennial kingdom is beginning. 30-year delay uh, w with the end of the, also the uh, church age. And then it says in Revelation that Jesus Christ is going to reign with his saints for a thousand years. Well, God's a pretty good mathematician, and he does things pretty precisely, usually to the very day. So if he's going to reign with his saints for a thousand years, that means there will be a 30-year delay before entering eternity. Do you see it or no? If he's going to reign a thousand years with his saints, well, that doesn't start until the first 30 years are over. And so he has to go 30 years beyond the thousand years that we would normally consider a thousand years. He has to go beyond to reign a thousand years with his saints. Is that too deep? <laughs> Amen. Amen. So that's the two days, but it's also revealed by the words of Jesus. The uh, Pharisees came and tried to scare him. You better leave because Herod's, Herod wants to kill you. Herod didn't want to kill him. Herod wanted to see him and see a miracle, the Bible says. They were just trying to put fear in him. So Jesus really trembling. He says... Um, Go ye and tell that fox. <laughs> Maybe one of the times the Lord didn't show respect. <laughs> he doesn't show respect to the wicked. <laughs> Behold, I cast out devils and I do cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I shall be perfected. Oh, yeah, that's his body. Shulamite, the perfect one. Amen. The third day. Could that possibly mean a thousand years? Is that the day he's talking about? Of course, that's the Lord's day. I mean, his day is a thousand years. When he talks about a day, it's often, he's often talking about that. The day of rest, a thousand years. Why does he say he'll cast out demons for only two days? I mean, this is basically proof that this is what he's talking about. <clears throat> Why will he cast out demons for only 2,000 years? Don't you want to at least guess? <laughs> hmm? Not, yeah, the enemy is under his feet, but also the demons are in hell. After 2,000 years, the, the devil is in the bottomless pit. The demons go to, to hell. Right or no? Demons aren't going to be in the millennium. There won't be any demonic influence in the millennium, in the 1,000-year reign. Why is he only going to do cures for two days? <clears throat> That's regarding his people the ones that would be perfected. 
Because when Israel left, remember is, the journey is our pattern, right? Paul says so. It's our example. When Israel left Egypt at the Passover, the Bible tells us there was not one sick person among them. So he won't need to do cures in our Passover departure from this world there will be perfect health oh what a day that will be so he's only going to cast out devils and do cures for 2,000 years after that he'll have a perfect body the church amen let's can we go together to Daniel chapter 9 <clears throat> I want to share some very important thoughts with you. <clears throat> I want to read with you, beginning in verse 25, the last three verses. <clears throat> know therefore, Gabriel is giving him the revelation of the 70 weeks, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, that's 49 years, and threescore in two weeks, that's 434 years. And I give the exact dates and how it fits exactly from the command to restore uh, in 445 by Artaxerxes to restore the city of Jerusalem. Okay, and um, it fits perfectly to the birth of Jesus in the manger. <clears throat> and the street shall be built and the wall again, even in troublous times, if there's ever a truth in the Bible, that's it. I mean, imagine what Israel has gone through from the day they declared their nation, their statehood. They started out with a war against seven heavily armed Arab nations against people with 10,000 rifles. Oh, and don't forget their airplane. They had one. Anyone know what a Piper Cub is? Anyone here know, know what a Piper Cub? Man, we don't see any pilots here. <laughs> A Piper Cub is a little tiny airplane where two men can fit in it if they're really squeezed together. And if you put two men in it and fill it with fuel, you're already overloaded. It's best to fly with one man and fuel. And it will fly at about 80 miles an hour. It's really moving. <clears throat> It couldn't even think about carrying a bomb. It wouldn't get off the ground. They had one of those against all the modern, the best airplanes of that age after World War II with Great Britain supervising the attacks. Amazing. Only God could have saved Israel. <laughs> they could have wiped out the 600,000 people and that was, forgot about them. God didn't allow it. Anyway, <clears throat> they, it was troublous times. And then, of course, I told you, that, that continued. That didn't just happen, one little war, and then they gave up. The Arabs 
the Muslims gave up. Oh, no, no. When we lived there, there were terrorist attacks every 20 minutes, 24-7, day and night. The world doesn't hear a thing about that. They only hear when Israel decides they're going to stop the terrorists. They're not allowed to stop them. The world wants Israel to disappear. They do. It's satanic, anti-Semitism. And it's growing every day. In the universities now, it's the new thing. In the United States, in the universities, they're all, not all, but most are anti-Semitic. They hate the Jews. The Jews are the problem. The Middle East would be peaceful if it weren't for the Jews. That's what they say. Even the governments. Imagine, without Israel, the Arab nations attacked each other continually. There was civil war. There was a war against one nation after another. Iraq attacked the neighbor. That was just a few years back. Iran attacks others. I mean, they, they love to have war. And if Israel's not there to have war against them, they just war against each other. It wouldn't make the Middle East safer. It'll make it much less safe. I mean, imagine how peaceful Israel is. It's probably the world's only truly superpower because it's got a little special secret weapon. His name is Jehovah. <laughs> you know, when we lived in Israel, the United States did a, a, an exercise with their, the two air forces, Israeli Air, air, air Force and U.S. Air Force. And what they did, and this isn't hearsay, we were there, it was all over the news, it, it, we knew the day, everyone knew the day, it was a big deal. The U.S. put up 100 fighter jets, and Israel put up 100 fighter jets. And they had an electronic war. They could shoot at each other with electronic bullets, and the, their airplane would detect, and the people... The controllers on the ground would see if an airplane got hit by an electronic bullet. And they would say to that pilot, you got to land, You're, you got hit. So he lands. What do you think the score was? I mean, we, nobody in Israel could believe it, but we were very proud of Israeli pilots. <laughs> it was only 99 to 1. Israel lost one airplane, and the U.S. lost 99. <laughs> That's a superpower. I mean, God does things like that. He was showing them that he can do that now. So, anyway, <clears throat> troublous times, they've had it continually. And after threescore and two weeks or weeks of years, shall Messiah be cut off? We already talked about that yesterday. 
but not for himself and the people of the, he, he embraced the cross for us. <clears throat> and listen to this now. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. How many of you, I, I know everyone here probably hates grammar. But the people will destroy the sanctuary. What's the subject of that sentence? Hmm? People. Uh, when it says the people of the prince, does that make the prince to be the subject? No. The prince is not the subject. The people are. Okay. Throughout this entire um, passage, there's only one subject, the Messiah, and then another the, a very unimportant subject, the people. The subject of all this part is the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah, right? And then in verse 27, it says, and he shall confirm the covenant. And suddenly, who's he? Hmm? Well, the popular doctrine says it's the Antichrist. If he is the Antichrist, God made just a small grammatical error in the Hebrew. <laughs> because my wife and I talk about this quite often because we both make the same mistake, and so does everyone else here from time to time. <clears throat> We're talking about John, and we talk about John for three or four minutes, and all of a sudden we say, and, and he borrowed my book and didn't give it back. Who did that? We're talking about John, right? And we use a personal pronoun and say, he borrowed my book and didn't give it back. So who do you think that would, the person that's listening to me would think that is? John, right? Oh, no, no, it's not John, it's Peter. I forgot to introduce Peter in our talk. <laughs> in any language on earth, that is a grammatical error. It's called a reference error. You cannot use a personal pronoun, he, she, it, they, unless you have introduced that subject to the conversation. You understand? Obviously. It's called a reference error. Well, if he is the Antichrist, the Holy Spirit made a re grammatical reference error in this passage. I doubt that he goofed. <laughs> what do you think? No, but let's continue. <clears throat> Chapter uh, 9, verse 27, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, 
and for the overspreading of abominations, that, mean the mul that, that means overspreading means the multitude of abominations. He shall make it desolate even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. All right, here are what I call the eight foundation stones to end-time doctrine. And I've shared this with pastors in many, many denominations, and they like my eight foundation stones. They agree that it is what the body of Christ, the evangelical world, believes about the end. In fact, it was, it's quite amusing because, well, I won't say, but <laughs> let me give you the eight foundation stones. First of all, they call this the last week. How many of you have heard people talking about the last week? Almost no one. Well, if you talk to, okay, if you want to, if you want to find about, out about the last week, just borrow any evangelical book about the last days, what's going to happen? And almost always it will start off saying, we all know that there will be seven years of tribulation in the last days because of it being the last week of Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks. It's the last week. That's what they call it. Well, error number one is it doesn't say last week. It says for the other week, there could be a big difference. We already got 69 weeks. We got the seven weeks and the 62 weeks. And then it says, and for the other week, the other week, not the last week. Could there be a difference? We'll see. But anyway... The doctrine says that there will be seven years in the end because of the last week. The second foundation stone is the last seven years are marked by a seven-year agreement that the Antichrist will make with Israel in the Middle East. A, an agreement of peace. The third foundation stone, and, and some of you are, have a good background in different denominations. If I say one foundation stone that is not believed by the evangelical world, please raise your hand and tell me that. Nobody believes that. The third is the Antichrist will break his seven-year agreement with Israel after three and a half years. The fourth stone is when the Antichrist breaks his agreement, the great tribulation begins and lasts for three and a half years. Most Christians don't realize that the theological world says there's seven years of tribulation in general, but three and a half years of great tribulation. All those who've studied the scripture about it, they agree it's the last three and a half years that is the great tribulation. Okay? Part of the uh, stone number five, part of the agreement that the Antichrist makes with the Jews 
will make it possible for them to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. True? Anyone heard these things? Really? No one? There are a few here. So we got 10 witnesses, maybe. (laughs) Number six. The Jews will restore animal sacrifices in their rebuilt temple. Number seven. Three and a half years into this seven-year agreement, the Antichrist will offer a pig or some other unacceptable sacrifice on the Jews' new altar in the temple. Number eight, the Antichrist's offering on the Jewish altar is what the Bible calls the abomination of desolation. Now I'm asking you to help us just so there are some witnesses. How many have you have heard of those ideas? Plenty, plenty of witnesses. I haven't made up anything, right? That's the doctrine that the whole body of Christ believes with very few exceptions. I would like to, you know, the way, the way we start any any seminar on strictly the end time with pastors and leaders and, and sheep is Second Peter 1.20, no prophecies of the scriptures are private interpretation. Are we all willing to lay aside our private interpretations, preconceived ideas? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Then we go to this verse, and I share the eight foundation stones of end time doctrine. Yeah, that's, that's what we believe. And here's what I present, and I present it to you. There are some problems with those ideas. First of all, I challenge you to find one verse in the entire Bible that says even one of those things. Well, you know, and I say, if you know of a verse that challenges or that, that confirms even one of those things, you know, raise your hand. And then, and then some, oh, yeah, I got a verse. And I said, well, you know, I know what verses you're going to mention because I used to teach them and believe them. And uh, we don't want to embarrass you, but it's going to be strictly private interpretation. Because when you take us to a verse and you say, well, this means... Then we're going to ask, ask you, well, you gotta, do you have a verse that proves that that's what it means? Then you'll take us to another verse, and we'll have to say, well, that doesn't even mention the subject. No, but this verse means, do you remember what that means when you say this verse means? What is that? Private interpretation. At least the kids know. <laughs> Good, good going. (laughs) Private interpretation upon private interpretation upon private interpretation. There is not one scripture in the whole Bible that refers to even one of those thoughts. That's problem number one. Problem number two, you know, the favorite one is... um, 
Second Timothy, Second uh, Thessalonians 2.4, the Antichrist sits in the temple of God. If we have time, we'll go back to that. Rebuilt temple by the Jews and the Antichrist, and the Holy Spirit calls it the temple of God. Does that not show you right there that it's not a temple rebuilt by the Jews and the Antichrist? Furthermore, in the f- verse 5, Pe- Peter, I mean, Paul says to the Thessalonians, the Gentiles, if you remember, this is what I taught you when I was with you about the son of perdition sitting in the temple and acting as though he's God. Well, wait a minute. Can we imagine the Gentiles thinking that Paul's talking about a temple that will be rebuilt 2,000 years in the future and 900 miles away from the Thessalonians in a place I'd almost never heard of. (laughs) He told them they were the temple. Is that not true? He he wrote scriptures telling us the Gentiles are the temple. The church is the temple. He said, you are the temple of God. And he says in Thessalonians, remember that when I was with you, I taught you about this. Taught them that the Jews 2,000 years later were gonna, was going to build a temple over 900 miles away over in Israel? No, he never taught them that. Didn't enter their mind nor his. All of these private interpretations were invented. We know we have all the facts. I I can document all of this. It's even in some encyclopedias. A lot of it, most of it is in encyclopedias. All of these interpretations were invented by a Jesuit priest named Francisco Rivera, and he wrote a book about it in the year 1585, and it was to counteract the Lutheran movement because the Lutherans were saying the Antichrist, the the, the Pope was the Antichrist. They were saying that. And so this Jesuit priest said, oh, no, no, the Antichrist is going to have power for seven years and make a covenant with Israel, and so our Pope has already had a lot more than seven years, so he can't be the Antichrist. Well, guess what? The Lutherans didn't buy the book. They didn't agree. But lo and behold, so by the way, all of those eight foundation stones came straight out of the Catholic Church. Okay, so... Um, In about 1810, a Scottish minister named Edward Irving, and again, these things are in in encyclopedias. I'm not inventing them. Edward Irving, Presbyterian pastor, got a copy of Rivera's book, thought it was really interesting stuff. So he started to preach it, the eight foundation stones. The ideas. As a result of his preaching, 
a young woman named Margaret McDonald had a vision that confirmed what Pastor Irving was preaching. And it became really well known over in Great Britain. Margaret McDonald, the vision confirms Irving's preaching from Rivera's book. That's what's going to happen. Well, a man named John Darby heard about Margaret McDonald's vision. And John Darby was the founder of the Brethren. Anyone ever heard of the Brethren? Nobody? Few people. They still exist. Sister Mercy knows about them, right? Sister Mercy is visiting us from London. But we knew her in the church that Hebron has in Botswana many years ago when we were young. <laughs> Younger. <laughs> um, and then she went to London as a nurse. She's been there for how many years? 23 years. She's still serving as a nurse. But it's nice to have her. Anyway, yeah, the brethren still exist, that denomination. John Darby. So John Darby heard the vision of Margaret McDonald, and he interpreted the vision for other people and for her. He said, this means this, and that means that, and that means the other thing. Then John Darby went to a friend of his whose name was Charles Schofield. How many have heard of him? That name, Charles Schofield. Charles Schofield at the time was editing the Bible, putting in commentaries. And so John Darby asked his friend Charles Schofield to do him the favor of using the Bible to prove his interpretation of Margaret McDonald's vision that came from Pastor Irving's preaching that came from the Jesuit Rivera. This is all documented, folks. I'm not making this up. And Charles Schofield obliged him. He used the Bible to prove through private interpretation all of those eight foundation stones. And tragically, the evangelical world swallowed it, as we say in English, hook, line, and sinker. The whole thing became the doctrine of the evangelical world. It is carefully crafted by the devil himself to cause people to reject the Lord in the last days. I'll show you why a little later. Another problem, if this is the Antichrist, and if these seven foundation stones are true, the, uh, the third problem I want to give you, 
Number one is there's no, not one single scripture to confirm even one of them. Number two, it came from the Catholic Church through a Jesuit priest. Number three, the Hebrew says, in the Hebrew it's very clear, the person who makes this covenant, the covenant, confirms, it says, the covenant for one week. The Hebrew is very clear. Whatever he does, he does it for seven years, not for three and a half. You understand? He, well, look, if someone says he confirmed a promise for seven years, would you say, well, after three and a half years, he broke his promise? Let me repeat that. You're talking to someone and you say, Peter made a promise that he kept for seven years, but, but he broke it after three and a half. Does that make any sense? Or yes? It does? He kept his promise for seven years, but he really broke it after three and a half. Some people think that makes sense. <laughs> I can tell on your face. How can you keep the promise for seven years and break it after three and a half of the seven? He, pr he made a promise and kept it for seven years, but uh, during those seven years, he actually only kept it for three and a half. Then he didn't keep it for seven years, right? What this person does, according to the Hebrew, he keeps it for seven years. He fulfills the covenant for seven years, not for three and a half. <clears throat> Another problem with this outlandish interpret, private interpretation of one verse. You imagine someone asks in that one question, is, are there any other scriptures that confirm the timing of the Lord's return? We saw two or three more that already today, but forget that. We should ask, is there one single scripture that confirms even one detail of the popular end time doctrine? Even one scripture. Forget, we have one at least. We got Daniel. No, we have much more than Daniel. But even if all we have is Daniel, that's a lot better than having absolutely no confirmation from the Bible about anything the church believes. Isn't that a little worse? <laughs> 1 Kings 8.23 is a, a fourth problem. It declares, the Lord God of Israel, Lord, I'm sorry, a prayer. Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath who keepest covenant that fulfills your promise. There is, how, how many of you know that the devil is the God of this world? There is no God in heaven above or in the earth beneath that keeps his promise. That's what it's saying. Keeps covenant. Uh, listen, the devil is incapable of keeping a promise for two seconds. 
much less for three and a half years. He's a liar by nature. He's incapable of telling the truth. Like some people, I hope none here, but I think there probably are <laughs> by probabilities. The devil can't keep a covenant for three and a half years. The Bible says so. There is no God that keeps covenant except you, Lord. Another problem, we already mentioned it. Problem number five, if this is the Antichrist, then there's a grammatical error in the Hebrew. Reference error. He is suddenly someone else that hasn't come into the picture in the whole passage. Third, uh, sixth, the sixth problem with this is that it contradicts New Testament scriptures. Openly contradicts what the New Testament tells us. For example, it says he confirms the covenant for one week. Romans 15 and verse 8. Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. In other words, to confirm the covenant. That's the promises. Okay? Jesus Christ in his ministry confirmed the covenant. Any observant Jew, and I know this from experience and from living in Israel, any observant Jew knows the bottom line regarding what the covenant is. For them, the covenant, and it was true for the 12 apostles in Acts 1.6, to the Jew, the covenant is the kingdom, that they will receive the kingdom of God. They will be citizens of the kingdom of God and be blessed by the kingdom of God. That's the covenant. And that Abraham's descendants will inherit the earth, the kingdom. Romans tells us that. And Jesus came preaching what? the kingdom of God and all of its power and authority and glory, preaching the kingdom. After the cross for 40 days, he talked about one thing, the kingdom of God, Acts 1-3. Three verses later, and the, the apostles, I, I uh, should, have, should not have mocked them. I was only kidding. I was playing when I said, oh, the Lord must have said, when they said, Lord, uh, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? I was, I was, I realized later, someone probably thought I meant it. The Lord says, I can't believe it. I've talked to you about the kingdom of God for 40 days, and you don't even know who it's coming to? <laughs> Obviously, they did. They had supernatural understanding. The Bible says so. He opened their understanding. They were understanding every word. They were going to be the foundation 
of the church that the Lord was birthing. They understood. After 40 days, they certainly understood to whom the kingdom was coming. It's coming to Israel. Are you part of Israel? I hope so. If you're you're not, buy the book on the mystery so that you get the faith to be part of Israel before the Lord. And you have the right confession of faith. Okay, so he came and preached the kingdom of God for three and a half years. True? Not sure, huh? It's what the Bible says. He preached the kingdom. Revealed the kingdom of God for three and a half years. His ministry confirmed the promise, promises, confirmed the covenant. You know, I've, I began to see how much the Jews, un- they understand this. I mean, it's tragic that the Gentile church doesn't. Living in Israel, we were being shown around by a guy named Tony. He was a New York Jew from Manhattan. He was making tons of money in the U.S. He was a U.S. citizen, born and raised in the U.S. as a Jew. But he decided to immigrate to Israel. They call it make Aliyah, to Israel. So he became an Israeli citizen. He was a Jew. He was living in Israel, barely making enough money to feed himself. I said, I mean, I knew what his, he explained what his job was in New York, and he was getting rich. Uh, Tony, why would you come here to Israel to all these problems and terrorist attacks, and it's hard to make a living, and you've abandoned your life in the U.S.? Why would you do that? Because he wasn't an observant Jew. I knew that from his own words. I mean, he didn't have the faith to be a Jew, a true Jew. Why would you come here? He says, because the kingdom is coming to Israel. (laughs) They know. They know. The kingdom is coming to you if you're part of Israel. Oh, Lord, have mercy and help us. The covenant is clear. It's a kingdom. Here's what Jesus, here's what the Lord said to Israel, Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice, indeed, and keep my covenant... Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's the promise he gave them when they were straight out of Egypt. That's the covenant he made with them. They know that. The apostles knew that. In Acts 1, verse 6. Oh, Lord. Matthew, he says, it says, 
And he shall confirm the covenant with who? With many. He confirms the covenant with many. How many of you know that covenant and testament are the same thoughts? Okay. Matthew 26, 28. He said in the upper room before going to the cross. He said, the cup, he gave them the cup and said, this is my blood of the New Testament, New Covenant, which is shed for who? For many. This is the blood of my of the New Testament, New Covenant, shed for many. He, Daniel 9, 27, shall confirm the covenant for one week, and he confirms it with many. Not with everyone. In the midst of the week, he causes sacrifice and oblation to cease. Okay, the Hebrew is very, very precise in this. The week is obviously seven years. In the midst of the week, the Hebrew word for that is in the dead center. Not approximately, a little bit, 40-60. No, no, 50-50, dead center of the week. So that's exactly after three and a half years. Right? You understand? Some of you are lost. I think maybe we've taught you too much. (laughs) This is life-changing, people. If you ever put forth a little effort, mental effort, physical effort, then do it for these last few minutes, a couple hours. Okay? We're going to have... One session this afternoon and then time for questions and answers. But let's try to concentrate. It's it's an important issue. Third of the Bible is about these things. In the midst of the week, right after three and a half years, he causes sacrifice and oblation to cease. Who did that? Not the devil. Hebrews said Jesus, by one sacrifice forever, caused the others to be of no avail, to cease. The New Testament is very clear. He did all this. And for the enormous amount of abominations, he will make it desolate. Who made desolate? The people of God. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, your house is left unto you desolate. It's the Lord who brings the desolation, not the devil. He's sovereign. Amen. Satan from the beginning has tried to usurp the place of God. Right? That's where he fell. Did you know that? How many knew that? Most of you? He tried to take the, sit in the throne of the Lord. He's still trying to usurp the position of God. That's how the Catholic Church put him 
in this verse 27. And the church of Jesus Christ, the true church, the evangelical world, has accepted his usurpation, accepted that he takes the place of the Lord in one of the most important verses in the Bible. How sad. It's the Lord who did all of these things, and the New Testament says so. It's not our interpretation. Each detail, he did it. For example, the week is divided into two periods of three and a half years, and the week clearly is talking about the kingdom being preached, being revealed. He preached the gospel of the kingdom for three and a half years. We have to find in the Bible two periods of three and a half years. Yes or no? Or else it's private interpretation. And the New Testament begins with three and a half years. And in Revelation it ends with three and a half years. And the two witnesses are going to preach the gospel of the kingdom for three and a half years. And then, Jesus said, the end comes. So it's very clear. Why it's divided into two halves? Because beginning and end. Three and a half years of the gospel of the kingdom preached. And then at the end, three and a half years, the gospel of the kingdom would be preached. And then the end comes. So the three and a half years are very clear. You know, John Darby talked Charles Schofield into adding the three and a half years in Revelation 11 to the three and a half years in Revelation 12 to come up with, see, seven years. Well, why didn't they also add the three and a half years in chapter 13? Oh, no, but ten and a half years, that doesn't fit. Doesn't fit what Rivera taught. The priest, imagine. It all came from his book. So, it's obvious all of the things we've heard are going to happen. And I'm sorry to say it, and I say it in fear and trembling, but I know it's true. And I wouldn't say it if I didn't know it's true. All the things we've heard are going to happen in the last days are myths. They're lies. And they're going to deceive millions of Christians. That's why most of the Christians, 90%, are going to deny the Lord or fall away. And we'll see why. Well, we've pretty much seen it, a lot of it. Just the rapture alone. Well, if this is the mark of the beast, I wouldn't be here because I'd have been raptured out. So I'm going to take it because my kids got to eat and I got to eat. <clears throat> Just that is going to reap millions of Christians. And then we'll see another thing that will reap millions more. I can't believe this. We just ran out of time, didn't we? Well, if you have any questions and you can
can come back. I'm not sure I have any answers, but <laughs> we can see what happens. We're going to have another session to finish the seminar in the afternoon and then question time. Thank you for listening to Hebron Ministries podcasts. Christ in us is the hope of glory. We hope that Christ may be glorified in the church. If you would like to know more about Hebron Ministries International, please visit us at www.hebronministries.com. Thank you.